0: Welcome to the Stakeholders Podcast, the show where we try to answer the question, what's at stake? We dive into how an organization's pursuit of their objectives affect or are affected by the people. Our guests come from the private industry, government, education, and more to discuss how they manage with their stakeholders in mind to achieve long-term success. Today, we're joined by Paul Fabre, a Director, Client Services at BioBridges, over his five year career, Paul has managed about eight to ten million dollars of revenue, putting him in the top two to three directors in his company. Thank you very much for being a guest today. Can you tell us a little bit more about
1: yourself and what you do? Thank you so much for having me, Andy. It's an absolute pleasure. First of all, I guess I my background a little bit on who I am. I'm a, a city kid from the you know city of Detroit, born and raised, grew up. Um and graduated from high school, a great school that I went to where I learned a lot about relationships and people of different backgrounds and ethnicities and, and you know, lifestyles. Um, and that was kind of what springboarded me out of the city into the East Coast uh, where I went to Lehigh University for undergraduate college, <clears throat> excuse me. And then after that, just kind of stuck around the East Coast. You know, for those that, I had a client of mine look at my LinkedIn page the other day and he's like, hey, Paul, you're a, a real renaissance man. I'm like, <laughs> Thank you. I think because <laughs> it's a as a way of being a, a master of many, but uh, or jack of all trades, a master of none. But luckily for me, I've been always focused on relationships for my entire career. So I did a lot of different things, from um, serving in restaurants to you know hosting and managing wedding events to um, you know working as an in- insurance professional and, and salesman for ADP, and that somehow in a very sorted way, which, which we can talk about at some point, landed me in Boston. Where I um, began working for a company called BioBridges, as you mentioned. You know, a lot of people would call me kind of like a, a casting director of sorts or a professional relationships manager. My role is essentially to meet and manage the relationships with clients that are in emerging market biotechs and to help them connect with our professionals that allow them to move their programs forward into and out of the clinic in some cases from whether it's you know early pre-ind all the way through phase three you know usually where we people are doing discovery work or commercial work um, those two bookends are where we kind of fall off in our in our capabilities but with that said my role is to manage relations with the clients to understand what they need and then to bring them the people much like a casting director would of sorts who are going to be best fitting for their program and their team
0: yeah i think that you have such an crazy uh, and like a really exciting background. And I think what you said, is just like being a jack of all trades. It's so important, especially when you talk about relationships, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be able to talk to different people about different topics at all times. Absolutely.
1: You know, my um, my boss, and, and he's been a bit of a mentor for me as well. He's always said, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the way that you do this role and the way that I, he's always done his job, you know, because he's been in sales as well, corporate sales, Is by going into a room full of strangers, which it's funny, we can't do that exactly right now, but we can certainly still make friends um, out of strangers because you learn how to walk into a place or go on to a networking event and talk to people and relate to them. And that's essentially what my job is, just a matter of the subject. And are there any
0: standout projects that you've helped either find staffing for that you can talk about?
1: So, yeah, I mean, under confidentiality, of course, um, there have been three programs personally that um, my clients have had in different companies uh, that have been focused on COVID-19. You know, I get the chills now just thinking about it because it's such an honor to even know that I'm that close to a company that's helping with something that's so enormous. I mean, it's just, you know, there's no other way to say it. This this The pandemic has been literally life-changing. And so to have a chance to help to, you know, bring a remedy to What's been a huge problem, even in some small way, has been such an honor. So, I'm most proud of those of, of late. You know, there's a lot of other pieces of relationships that I'm very proud of as well. But in terms of large programs that I've been able to help with and that our company's been able to help with, I would say that, um, you know, that would be the proudest for me currently. Yeah.
0: And I think that that's, that's a pretty honorable cause. That's definitely fighting COVID. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to beat that one. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> and, and now, what what is your purpose generally
1: around in your role and like what you're trying to achieve with it? Honestly, it's to make sure I have long lasting, valuable relationships. That is the ultimate basis in my work. So that's why this podcast is really interesting. It was of interest to me to look at was because stakeholders are essentially those that you need to build and manage relationships with. My goal and my role is to connect as many dots as I can to build the best relationships possible to bring the support to those that need it uh, within my companies and clients. So, you know, I want to be able to have clients who I can make phone calls to and I'm looking to help them with business that I can also that can lean on me to call me and we'll, they'll know I'll pick up their call and I, and I know that they'll pick up my call. Honestly, that's one of my goals is to make sure I can build enough of a rapport with someone that we can have an open dialogue because there's not always going to be work for, for clients. Every client's not going to have something that they need from me all the time. And I know that, um, I respect that. That's one thing you learn later in your, in your corporate sales career. Um, you know, I can speak on it being now in almost 15 years. Wow. something I mean, you know, in the beginning you learn, you know, you learn to push and try as many people as you can and talk to many people as you can, and that's, it's still going to be the case, but you learn over time that, you know, you, the maturity of your relationships is what really is the ultimate goal because those are the people that are going to go with you wherever you end up those are the ones that are going to remember you as your brand along with your company but they're going to end up making your company better because you're there and vice versa so it's it's a symbiotic relationship my goal is to build as many of those in a long-lasting way
0: yeah it's really interesting to bring that up because um there's a principle called the no trade-offs principle in the stakeholder theory and the whole idea is to establish a win-win-win scenario. Yep. Where uh you're winning because you know you're you're helping out your client and you're making money, your client yep. is gaining and you uh employee that's going to make their company process. that's when the employee yep. is obviously winning and do do you have like maybe like the golden child of that that you've had
1: like maybe like you pulled someone out of poverty or something i I mean honestly the best ones and all of them have been like that one that I think is is was particularly um of interest was. I, I I love I'm a big fan of helping people that uh, are younger in their career and it's hard for me to do that in the role because we have a, you know, a lot more high level um, professionals and consultants but every now and then there's one you know that comes in and is a bit lower level and you kind of help them grow in your career and you're actually really happy to see them to see them grow and I remember this particular professional I had to call them because another company had actually worked with them um and i built a relationship i built a relationship with her and also her career manager at the time and i called her on the phone and said i really want to represent you to this company you know i have a great relationship a great relationship with the client um, who was a friend of mine because he'd worked with our company in the past so there's a win-win for the company it's a long relationship that i wasn't even a part of that he comes back to that i can then continue to foster um a professional who was young in their career needed their next opportunity you know, had a few people that were trying to represent her and because we had built a relationship with her and because we we're going to be able to get her, honestly, a bit more money, we were able to represent her to the client. So the client got the level of person they needed. They were able to work with her in the capacity that they needed to pay the right rate that they wanted for their budget. And also she was able to gain an opportunity in an emerging market biotech that most people don't have at that point in their career. So she's moving on uh, to another another role right now, I think, as well. and Her career is going to grow with that experience. And
0: so we all win in that scenario. I love it. I love it. And we've already uh, dove into a couple of these stakeholder groups: uh, the companies, uh, the people that you're helping to get hired, and uh, your your own company as well, uh, BioBridges. So I kind of want to dive into maybe how you differentiate between these groupings between your primary stakeholders, between your secondary stakeholders, and even if you have
1: them differentiated in your mind. So that was that's an interesting question because it's um, it varies from client to client, especially in our roles because or in our in our world because we work with very small nimble companies that are, you know, in some cases running with a CMO, a CEO, and one head of you know clinical or regulatory. So a lot of them are primary in almost every case, and you know I would honestly say the way I would categorize them is that they're all important, but in terms of Decision making, that's who you put in primary. Primary would be your those that are making the ultimate decision. Secondary would be those that are a part of the team. This is actually a great example. One of my clients that I've had, a, luckily, a, about a four and a half year relationship with, um, and they've just become friends of mine. We've had lunch together at uh, Mamalia's in Cambridge. I miss that place. Um, and so they have had scenarios with me where I've sat down with the primary stakeholder, who was the hiring manager in this case. Um, We discussed and talked about what they need. We, you know, had our discussion about the the rates and the different things that are involved um, with the budget. And then our job was to work on fulfilling the opportunity with a professional, and we were luckily able to do so. But then she had to meet um, several people that were part of the team, but who weren't actually making the ultimate decision. They were certainly part of the decision, but they weren't making it. But they were important, and this is because they were all on the team. So this is the beautiful thing about our world is that we have to make sure everybody plays well together. And so in order for me to make sure that the actual hiring manager can make the right decision, my role is to make sure that I can connect our professional with the secondary stakeholders in this case, you know, the other members on the study team in this case, and make sure that they all get along because when the hiring manager isn't in the room, those folks still have to be able to work well together. Um, And so I say what they, I would say that they are secondary and then, you know, um, the In this case, um, and even in those cases, those people aren't necessarily secondary by title or by role, they're just secondary in the decision. Um, so, and then third would be those that are making sure that the logistics of how that's all gonna work together in terms of meeting everybody, in terms of setting them up to actually work with the client, how that's all gonna go together. You know, those are the admins, the operations people. I'll tell you what, I'm just as concerned about making sure they're happy as I am the secondary and primary stakeholders. It's just a different way. I need to make sure the admins have everything they need. I need to make sure I'm in very close contact with their on on their boss's schedule in some case, because I want to make sure that they're in constant communication with me because I have a direct line to those that are primary. In some cases, those folks become the third or the, what is it? Tertiary <laughs> stakeholders, but they are still just as important and just a different way of approaching each one. Appreciate you bringing that up because
0: again, it's, Sometimes we're so focused on the very first person we want to please that we kind of forget about everyone else.
1: And it's easy to just get lost into it. Completely. human in nature, unfortunately, in some cases, but also fortunately, it's a, if you're aware of the instinct, you can, you can sometimes work, work, you know, work, use it in your favor. Um, that's why, you know, it's a difficult job because all three of these people all three of these categories need to be taken care of on the same day at the same time in a lot of cases. So it's not like, Okay, I'm just talking to the CMO today, and then I'm going to deal with the other study team tomorrow. Now, I'm I'm usually talking with all of them at some point, and there are some cases where you use the secondary stakeholders to get to the primary stakeholders or, or the the tertiary. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's cool though. It's a very interesting uh, part of the job. It just takes a lot of sometimes patience and and strategy in terms and just critical thinking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What what kind of a strategy would you say? Uh... It takes to get
1: to the right people you ever tried dating (laughs) 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 You know, it's weird and I I don't mean it I don't mean this to oversimplify it, but in a lot of ways it is like it's like you know networking or or trying to Get to know people in your school or in your in your class or uh, on your block it's uh, you 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 start just by being yourself. You always start by being yourself and you continue by being yourself. But you you learn how to connect with people, um, whether that be through actual, you know, relationships like, you know, sorry, building uh, some sort of commonality or relative um, understanding with one another or just by saying, hey, Brian, you know, Rick. Right. Can you introduce me to Rick? Boom. Boom. You and Rick may not have the same kind of relationship, maybe not have the same kind of discussion as Brian, but your goal there is to meet those people and understand who they are and work with them in a way that makes sense. That's going to help you and the company. And so that's, um, you know, I would say the strategy I use is kind of okay, and it just takes me a while to realize it because it takes time, it takes a lot of outreach to get to this point. But your goal is really to say, okay, she knows him, I know her and then maybe he and I can chat with her and then they can tell introduce industry to them. And then, so you just kind of do this, you know, it's this really large game of connect the dots that you're playing daily. Um, and in that process, you're also trying to make sure you can bring in the right professionals and then connect those professionals with the people that you've made those, you know, that you connected those dots with. But that's the strategy is understanding who is where uh, and how you can best connect with them and help them, um with their work if and when they need it
0: yeah i bet that, that's a very good analogy with the with the dating i appreciate you uh putting it in layman's terms
1: <laughs> and you know what's great about that too Andy, is and i'm not sure if you're married um I, i'm uh, in a locked that, in relationship of that see i was just gonna say if if you, you don't have to be married to understand this but it helps because that's the most i think and a lot of my colleagues would agree that's the most Consistent relationship work that you have to put in is whoever you're with on a regular, long-term basis, and in this case, your spouse. So you still you you're doing a lot of the same things that you would do for your spouse that you do for your clients, and I don't mean that uh, in any kind of I don't mean that in any kind of subtextual way. I mean literally, you're trying to understand who they are and how you can best help them, and how you can best work with them, and take care of them, and love them. Um, and that's a lot of the ways that I focus on my clients you know i understand kind of who they are and what they need and when's best to call them and what is the best way to talk to them and like it's no different than when my wife comes home and i have a glass of wine and a glass of water waiting for her because she just worked a 13-hour shift standard stuff um, but it's taken me 12 years to get that and so i can you know translate a lot of that stuff into my work in a way that you know obviously is professional and is based upon building relationships but it's not
0: absolutely and and now what what do you do like let's say some someone you need to get in contact with is passive uh maybe he's looking over your email maybe they're busy and maybe you're on a deadline what do you do in
1: situations like that complaining my wife no um (laughs) no i you know in those cases you have to understand who the person is and what they are or or what's going on in their world uh, as best you can without them without being a pest. and this is this is tough. It just takes this is a, a more of a delicacy that you have to kind of work with each person on. And like everything else, it's customized to the person's personality. A lot of times if there's something that I know they need I, and I have their contact, I'll go through all the different contacts and until I find a way that they're going to respond. Um, and if that doesn't work, if there's a deadline, you know what I sometimes would do is talk to those, again, this is where the tertiary and secondary stakeholders come into play. If I can't get to those, those that are primary, I'll talk to those that are secondary and tertiary. So if I need to talk to a hiring manager who's on vacation or busy or whatever the case, I don't know that they're there or I've tried to reach out to them via cell phone or I've texted them. I just will sometimes send a, a follow-up to their admin or somebody that's, that's working with them and just check in and see what's going on. And in a lot of cases, there's a legitimate reason why they haven't gotten back. So at that point, it's about really backing off and you know being patient, um, which is probably the hardest part of the job is uh, being patient. But that's that's what I have to do sometimes in those cases is just um, let them respond. But if there's a deadline and a timeline, and I know that they have it and they know that they have it, you know, you you kind of send one last communication saying, I don't know if anything changed, but I'm going to go ahead and give you time to figure it out and we'll, we'll, we'll reconnect. And then you come back to it another month and a half and you'd be surprised how that time can change everything. Absolutely,
0: and that makes a lot of sense. You have to use a little bit of that empathy to make sure you don't come off
1: too strong. Yeah, I mean, there are times you have to be strong. Though, I mean, it's it's one thing I think a lot of corporate sales folks and people, you know, you've got to know when to sort of use your superpower, so to so so to speak. And I put that in quotes. I don't mean, you know, we there, there's nothing magical about what we do. What we do is just we try to. I try to empathize and relate and support. And then I also try to make sure that I am taken care of as well. You know, I'm not um, by any means going to take from somebody else in order to get what I need, but I, I will make sure that, you know, I'm strong enough to protect the business, to protect, you know, my brand and protect what, what are, what the value is that we're bringing. Um, So, you know, being passive is necessary in some cases, but also there are some clients and a lot of clients that actually thank me for being. Follow you know, following up and reminding them because as much as they have going on and they need our help, you sometimes have to really pull them out of that pattern where they have so much going on that they can't respond to you. So it takes some delicate, you know, like I said earlier, you had to be a little, little delicate and kind of, you know, know when to jump in and jump out, but there are times to be strong and there are times to be a little passive. I think both are important. Um, and I wouldn't say one or the other, you know, if anybody's listening to this, it's in corporate sales, I wouldn't say one or the other is you should lean one way or the other. You should always have both at your disposal um, and you'll learn how to use your strengths in a way to you know, get people to respond if you need them to.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Paul, I like to ask this question of all my guests because it sure. always has such interesting answers to come out of this. Sure. There's this uh there's this principle called the separation fallacy in the stakeholder theory. And it's the idea, and it's a false idea that good business decisions can't uh possibly, you know, interact with ethics, and then vice versa, ethical decisions aren't going to make good business decisions. Now, this was born out of like some uh, business papers from Friedman in the early 60s. Um, but I kind of want to like hear your background on this. If you've experienced this in your
1: uh, own career, and yeah. if you've learned anything from it, so it's hard to do. When, uh, um, and I, you know, we talked a little bit about this in pre-show. It's hard to do when you work in our business to not think ethically about what you do, because the relationships that you build in this industry, especially, they you know they last in for a while, and both good and a bad way. They go around the town of Cambridge and around the town of the you know North Atlantic and around the different biotech areas and companies four times, you know, 1400 times before you do, because it's such a small industry. Um, so if you're, you do the right things, you're going to, you, you, you want to make sure you do the right things in our industry. Otherwise it will follow you long story or, or short answer to a much longer discussion in terms of your, the question or the example, I would say that you know, there was a time in a pre, my previous company where I was working as a as a corporate insurance um, sales uh, salesman. That I, there was a professional or a guy that worked there that you know, a colleague of mine who was always able to write really strong business. But you know, in workers' compensation, you really can't write risky business because you know, travel insurance doesn't want to take a roofing company that might have somebody fall off the roof and you know hurt themselves or die. That claim is millions of dollars in some cases. So. You know, what we did was like a lot of clerical, professional work, things that were low risk. And this guy would always somehow, you know, make tons on on what he what he did in terms of sales. And it was great. I mean, he he was teaching us what he did and talking about it. But like there was always this discussion of, OK, well, you know, here's what you have to do for business. And I'm like, but ethically, what kind of risk are we taking? And. I always just assume, you know, it was maybe the way that he was presenting it and talking to people uh, that were his carriers and then found out a few years ago, he actually got into a little bit of trouble, which, you know, I, I wish him all the best and hope, hope he's well. But it was an experience where you kind of saw, you know, even in the cases where, and it wasn't like everything was unethically decided, but there was a couple of times where, you know, you go, well, for the bottom line, let's do this. I'll make this decision. And it doesn't take more than one or two bad decisions like that for it to really come back and buy you. And that was a situation where, unfortunately, you could kind of see it, but it didn't happen. You know, it happened to him later on in his career, which stinks. And I know he has a family and I hope he does well. and, And, you know, I'm sure he got everything figured out. But it's a tough thing to do because you have the opportunity to make the wrong decision there and you could probably get away with it for a while. At some point, it does come back to you. In our industry, you just don't have that chance.
0: And that's unfortunate, but I'm glad that you were able to learn something from seeing past mistakes of other people.
1: Oh, and you know what? I would be crazy to think like, oh, you know, you, it crosses your mind, like, well, hey, if I do this and just kind of go, eh, it might be okay. I might get away with it. You know, it it you would you're not human if you don't think about the temptation of it all. But again, you think about the full and long-term consequences of your decisions and it's more acute with people. So that's the that's the thing. You're kind of held more accountable.
0: Absolutely. I mean, accountability is it's it's key. I mean, if you don't hold yourself accountable, then you're just gonna do whatever you like because you right. don't think you're responsible for it. Right. And, and, and Paul, I want to thank you very much for being a guest today. Uh, you oh had some really great insight. Is there any final thoughts that you want to leave us with before we sign off today?
1: You know, I would I would just say that um when it comes to relationships, when it comes to stakeholders, stakeholders are no more than the people that are involved in your relationships. And so it's going to be about understanding who they are and where they fit and how to approach them. And I think the day-to-day philosophy that I try and carry that I think anyone should carry when they're thinking about this in any form of business is understanding how to approach each of those people and how to bring value to that relationship for both of you each and every day that you can. And it's going to be small little stuff. It'll turn into big events over time. You know, making sure you have that understanding, I think, will help you navigate through what is a very exciting but can be challenging um, discovery of how to manage stakeholders. That's very well put. And I really appreciate you. I I had to get the title. (laughs) 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 I'm a a big, uh, my wife will tell you I was a a failed actor growing (laughs) up. So I used to always think, oh, you got to make sure you say the title of the movie. And when I wanted to act, I'm like, oh, I'll always be that guy. So and that's, that's, cool. what,
0: that's when you roll the credits, right? <laughs> well, Paul, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Absolutely. Uh, cool, thank you. Absolutely. And I'll see you the rest of my listeners in the next episode.